Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're in a series that we've entitled Relentless Joy. And we are learning what it means to have joy in all contexts, in all circumstances, and yes, even in all crises of life. And the Apostle Paul is writing a letter from prison to a church that he loves, a church he started 10 years prior to him writing this letter. And he is writing this letter in response to what the Philippians had done for the Apostle Paul. They had, knowing that Paul was in prison, knowing he was in a place of crisis, the church gathered themselves together, they prayed for him, they continued the work that Paul had taught them to do in response to their relationship with Jesus Christ. They gathered their resources and gave an offering so that it might be taken by a man we'll learn about next week, Epaphroditus, who would go from Philippi to where Paul was and not only encourage them with good news that they were keeping up the work, but to give him the necessary provisions that would allow for him to have a little more comfort in his time of need. And Paul responds with this letter that gets returned to him with Epaphroditus that gives them encouragement that he is so utterly filled with joy because of what God is doing not only in his life, but in the life of the Philippians. And this morning we come to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. And in this text... There is a response to the text prior to it. If you notice in the text this morning, our text in verse 12 begins with the word therefore, in light of, because of. That's what he's saying. Well, in light of what? Because of what? Because of what we learn in the passage before. Well, what's the passage before? That great and awesome passage that we looked at last week that talks about Jesus Christ, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. He was found in human likeness, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we see Jesus, who is great, humble himself and learn obedience. So in light of Jesus' example, in light of what we know about Jesus, Paul says to the Philippians, I want you to do something. Jesus learned what it meant to obey. And so notice what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved, he loves these people. As you have always obeyed, just like your Savior Jesus, he says, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. (coughs) Excuse me. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom, that, quick, that crooked and twisted generation, that you Philippians and us at Village Bible Church, Paul says that you shine as lights 
in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to look at this passage this morning under this heading of God's gym. Now, I know you lost an hour of sleep. I know you got to church stammering a little bit, struggling a little bit, wiping the sleep out of your eyes. And the last thing you want to hear about is that there's work to do. The last thing you want to hear about is that it's time to go into the gym and pump some iron. But that's exactly what our text has for us this morning. Now, this gym metaphor is one that is easy for us as Americans to understand. We are infatuated with fitness. Now more than ever, we seek to be the fittest we can be. We don't want to be flabby. We want to be lean and mean. And so we invest all kinds of time. We invest all manner of hours. We use all kinds of money to seek to achieve that goal of our best version of ourselves physically. To put this in perspective, let's look at a couple of things that we do as a society. Notice this, $28.6 billion a year is spent on gym memberships. It's a lot of money. The 53% of those who have a gym membership also seemingly have a gym at their home. So it's not like we don't have plenty of things to, to, to use to work out. Within a quarter of a mile, there's a couple places we can work out here in the Sugar Grove area. There's, there's opportunities. We spend, uh, 50% of us spend around $30. That's the average of what we spend on a gym membership. But here's the problem, and this is the disconnect. We spend a lot of money, a lot of time and energy desiring and wanting to be fit, but 53% of us pay for memberships that we probably aren't using. That means $1.8 billion is wasted on gym memberships. We'll get to that later in the message. Let's look at the other thing. That means if you take that information, Americans spend $112,000 on health and fitness in their lifetime. That's a lot of money. That averages down to a fitness cost of $5.53 a day. What are we spending it on? Well, I've got a graph for you. Supplements, gym clothing, gym membership, meal plans, or nutritional advice. I would love to be that guy, the guy that gets paid for nutritional advice. Get to the gym. Give me my money. Personal trainers. I can't get in the gym, so I need someone to to yell at me when I'm in the gym. That's going to help, all right? Maybe that works for you. Or workout plans. And just if you really are type A and want to know things, so how the supplements break down, everything. 
protein this, vitamin that, organic this, weight loss that, vegan this. We have everything we need to be the fittest generation there has ever been. But if you were to look at any study on the fitness of people in America, we're not getting fitter, we're getting flabbier. Wait a minute. We're spending three times, listen to this, three times what we were spending 20 years ago on fitness, and you're telling me all that money, all of that energy, all of that focus has us fatter than we were before? Something's wrong. Now listen. I am the last person to speak about fitness. <laughs> Let's turn in our Bibles to <laughs> Jesus says, Judge ye not, lest ye be judged. Now, listen, my job, my calling in life is not to make you fitter people. And there's a place for that. I don't want to diminish that. God has given us these bodies. These bodies that we have are temples of the Holy Spirit. And we should not just allow ourselves to fall apart or, or, or tempt fate, if you will, and live with reckless abandon. We, we need to discipline ourselves as an athlete does. And there's, there's a place for that. But my job is to prepare you and to shepherd you spiritually. And I want to talk on that. Because we live in a generation that parallels the fitness physically that can be seen spiritually. We live in a time and an age that we have all of the resources, all that we need, and we spend it on spiritual things. We buy books, we buy lots of Bibles. We buy lots of apps that help us in our spirituality. We read lots of articles. We can download anywhere in the world any sermon preached by anybody. We have got more resources today than all of the generations before us combined. You would imagine, you would think that we would be the most spiritually fit generation, that all of us would be called blessed by every other group of Christians that went before us because of how fit we are. And yet, just like I said physically, with all that we've got, every study says we're flabbier than we've ever been before. There's a disconnect. And Paul speaks to a church he loves, and he speaks to a church that he believes is doing all the right things. I stand here today speaking to a church I love, whom I believe is doing all the right things. And so my words, listen to me very carefully, are not to demoralize you or to discourage you but to put in you a greater hunger and a greater desire to serve and to honor God for his glory and yes, for your good. Because I believe as we do what Paul says in this text, we will find joy. Because what God is calling us into is a life that becomes each and every day more and more like him. And that's what we were created for. And so when we lean into that, when we toil towards that, our joy will be multiplied 
and full. So let's notice a couple things about this gym that God's calling us into. Number one, we need to recognize that as we engage in this gym, we are going to have to enroll in the program. Now, I'm going to use this gym metaphor through the entire message. It's the only illustration I've got today. We're sitting in the gym, and we're going to see how our response to a physical gym is very similar to what our response may be in a spiritual gym. And so, something has come up where we're unhappy about where we're at. Maybe you put on the jeans this morning, and when you went to clasp them, you couldn't. You've been there, done that. So I'm with you. When did these things get so small, right? I told Amanda not to dry those pants. She didn't listen. Something's wrong. And so there's something physically that's happened. Maybe you looked in the mirror and and you find yourself losing breath because you're sucking it in as you look at yourself in the mirror. You're unhappy with where you're at. Well, let's talk spiritually for a moment. As you look into the spiritual mirror that James talks about, are you satisfied with what you see? Maybe instead of flab, do you see uh, sins and fleshly appetites that are alive and well in your life that you sit there and go, man, where did that come from? Why, why haven't I been able to get rid of that trouble spot in my life? Maybe you're involved in, in troubles and disappointments and, and they've caused you to grumble and complain. And so instead of the joy of the Lord being your strength, you go around to people, both believers and non-believers, and, and you just spew poison. And maybe it finally dawned on you, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I saying? Maybe you're looking at the way that you invest your money or the way you invest your time and go, I need to be doing this different. Whatever it is, there's an epiphany, there's a moment that something needs to change. Paul says, listen to me, Philippians. I want you to keep up the good work. It wasn't like they woke up and they had done everything wrong. They were doing it, and notice what he says in the text. I want you to continue to do it. I want you to continue to obey. And and that's what he says. Notice verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, I love you people, he's saying, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, I love hearing what I'm hearing about you. You're going to God's gym whether I'm with you or not. See, that's the great thing about having a um, workout partner or a trainer. Someone's depending on you or expecting you. And they're expecting you to be there when you say you're going to be there. And if you're not, you're missed. One of the great phenomenons in the fitness world is is this whole idea of CrossFit. In essence, what it is, and I'm telling you, what they did is they stole it from New Testament Christianity. Let's do this in community with one another. And quite frankly, there are CrossFit gyms that are way more connected than many churches in America. Holding each other accountable, encouraging one another, not neglecting the assembly of one another as some are in the habit of doing. And I applaud that. I wish I could see that more in the church, but I applaud it. 
And so there's this idea that there's someone there. Paul says, you're going to the gym of God. And of his finishing work in your life, you're going to the gym even when I'm not there. Something glorious about that. Now what is his exhortation? Notice his exhortation is now, in my absence, he's away from him. Continue, keep working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let's dissect this a little bit. First of all, I want to dissect that word own, your own. If you underline in your Bible, I'd underline that. Because what that tells me is I cannot get physically fit because Amanda goes to the gym for me. I wish that was the case. I wish I could sit and watch Netflix at home while I send my three boys to the gym and they work out for me. What a glorious thing that would be, right? But that's not how it works. Tim, if you want certain results in your life, both in the physical and spiritual realm, you've got to go and do the work. And so I can't rely, but so many of us, even sitting here today, are relying on the faith or the work of faith that's going on in the life of the person sitting next to us, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent. You're sitting there saying, I'm a good, solid follower of Jesus Christ because my dad is. Oh, he, he's up. He studies the word. I see him in the Bible. I don't have to be in the Bible. My dad's in it. My mom's in it. My wife or my husband's in it. Some of you live by association where what you do is say, man, I go to a church and the Hattons, they're in the program. Wow, look at what they're doing. I'm a part of something great. Paul says, listen, just because the Hattons are working out their salvation with fear and trembling doesn't mean you're doing it. And so we have to make the decision that I'm going to undertake this venture on my own. Can't be done by association. Now notice the next thing that we see. As we read this text, there's a part of us that wants to say time out. Time out. Paul says, work out your salvation. Wait a minute. Are you saying, Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, that my works can be credited to me as salvation? Is that what you're saying, Paul? Because it's sure in black and white right here, it seems to say that I can work for my salvation. The answer is no. That's not what Paul is saying. Now, I want you to understand that this is what divides us as Protestant evangelicals with our Roman Catholic family and friends? Where we divide and what caused this division in 1517 when the Great Reformation took place was Martin Luther is reading through the Bible and he's looking at the church that he's a part of. Remember, Martin Luther's a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. He's a professor at one of the leading seminaries in Europe in his day. And he's reading and he's comparing what he sees in the church and what he reads in Scripture. And he says these two things do not agree with one another. 
I see a lot of people in my church, he says, working for their salvation. And they're doing it with a lot of fear and trembling. And Catholics would point to this passage and say, see, we are to work out our salvation. Now, to be fair to Catholics, they would say that we have to work in unison or in cooperation with the grace of God. So no Catholic would ever say, I work my way alone into heaven. They would say, God does his part, and I do my part. The Protestant reformers said, "Uh uh-uh, it's all God. But how do we get over these words? Turn in your Bibles for a moment to the book of Ephesians. If you're in Philippians, which you should be, turn two pages back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. In Ephesians, chapter 2, Paul is speaking once again on something he usually does, and that is our salvation. And in verse 8, he tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Let's stop there. Grace, God's unmerited favor for us. Unmerited, I don't deserve it. I can't attain it on my own. So he says... This unmerited favor, he says later in the text, notice, is a gift of God. Salvation is God's gift to us. There's nothing you and I can do for salvation. There's nothing you and I can do uh, to curry favor with our God. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says... Even our most righteous deeds are but filthy rags before a holy God. So Paul says, listen, this is a gift of God. And then he doubles down. He says, listen, this is so much a gift of God. He says, this is not of your own doing. It's not, look at verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Oh, I get it, Paul. I can't work I can't even cooperate with God that some of my good deeds and some of his good deeds will come together and equal heaven for me. The only thing I can do is bow the knee to Jesus and trust him as my savior. That is the mechanism by grace, unmerited favor through faith. And so I've got to trust and believe that the God who loves me that demonstrated his own love for me in this while I was a sinner. Christ died for me. I believe that. I trust that. I turn from my sin and I bow the knee to Jesus Christ. That is biblical faith. So that when I get to heaven and God says, Tim, why should I allow you into heaven? I'm not bringing a resume of look at all the things I did. I washed dishes on Saturday night before you turned the clocks forward, God. And I did that for Amanda. That should owe me something. That should garner me something. No, the only thing I can do is say, the reason why I believe I am afforded heaven is not anything I brought, but because of your grace, God. Your grace and your mercy. And so where does Paul lose it in a matter of a couple verses that we're working 
out our salvation with fear and trembling. Stay in Ephesians chapter 2. Now that we know it's not because of us, but it's because of God's grace. Notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship. This is after we've been saved, after we've experienced the grace of God. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. The program we're entering into, the program that Philippians 2 is talking about is the program of sanctification, not salvation. Now those are big words. Salvation redeems me of my sin. Sanctification is the process that starts with salvation and will end at glorification when we see Jesus. It is the, it's the process by which the Christian or the Christ follower becomes more like Jesus each and every day. Let me change the metaphor for you. Some years ago, right here, Amanda and I, I was 21, she was an old lady, she was 22, we stood here with all of our friends and family, and we got married. And my dad, who's a pastor, went through the process of marrying us. And, and what he said is, Tim, do you do this? Do you do that? Will you do this? Will you do that? And I said, yeah, Dad, I'll do that. She's a pretty lady. I want to do that for her. And then, and then she was asked, Amanda, do you do this? Do you do that? Will you do this? Will you do that? And she said, he's a big dude. I'm not sure I want to do it, but okay. No, she said it. A little better than that. She said, all right. <laughs> In that moment, we were married. A once and for all thing. We're married. We're together. Now, my dad, at the end of that wedding, says, okay, now I pronounce you husband and wife. And we are to leave this place. And what do we enter into? Not every day do we get up in the morning and, and, and say to each other, will you do this and that, and will you commit to this and that, and yes and yes. We don't do that, and I don't think you do it as well as spouses. But what we're a part of now is the daily growing in that love that we committed to. What Paul is talking about is we enter the gym to grow our love, to grow in our service for the God we made a commitment to that by his grace has saved us from our sins. you understand? And so we enroll in this program of sanctification. Let's understand this program. Number one, we need to recognize it is more about dedication than just a decision. It's more about dedication than just a decision. Can I tell you, uh, now I'm mixing metaphors, so I'll give you both metaphors. Metaphor number one, the wedding day is the easiest day of the marriage. Amen? It's the easiest day in the marriage. Ladies, it's the best he will ever look. It's the best he will ever smell. It's the best he will ever act. Why? Because his mom's in the room. Okay? And I'm going to go with the ladies. You're always beautiful. We'll just leave it at that. Can I tell you spiritually, the easiest decision or day in the Christian walk is the day of decision. I bow the knee. I haven't done anything in response to that, but I bow the knee. Did you know that the easiest day you'll ever spend in a gym is the day you sign up? 
You sign it. This is great. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. What do I got to do next? Well, sit down. We're going to take your picture. Oh, this is great. Do I look thin? Okay. You take the picture. Now let's take you around. You get to do this. And there's a pool here. And there's a sauna. And there's workout things. And there's cycling class. Oh, this is great. Until the next morning. But I don't want to go. It's cold outside. It's still dark out. I don't, I don't want to do it. Listen to me. The Christian life is more than just a decision. It's dedication. And maybe this morning you're living on a decision. And you're not experiencing joy. You're not experiencing purpose. You're not experiencing contentment. And the big reason why is you're living. It's, it's like driving by the fitness center and seeing all that it has to offer, but you've never experienced it. And so we've got to dedicate ourselves to going to the gym of God's sanctifying work in us so that we might experience what's going on in the gym and not just look outside in. It's more about dedication than it is just a decision. Number two, we need to recognize that it calls us to use our strength, but we need to remember God is spotting us. So we're to work out our sanctification with fear and trembling. But notice in verse 13 it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you, you get into the gym and you're there and, and you look around and and you see what's taking place, and you get up the enough nerve that you're going to try out the machine or, or the, the certain exercise. So let's, let's talk bench press for a moment. And so you, you put some weights on the bar, and you lay down on the bench, and you take the weight off the bench, and you realize in that moment, I am in deep trouble. And so that weight comes down and you find yourself now with this bar across you. It's bruising your chest and you're going back and forth like this and everybody else in the gym is laughing but also kind of concerned that we've got to call the ambulance. And many of us don't ever get the bar off of the rack because we're afraid what happens if I can't weather it. What God's word says here in the text is that you're not alone in the gym. That what is happening is, is you're laying on the bench and God's calling you to obedience. He's calling you to service. He's calling you to generosity. He's calling you to holiness. And you take that weight off the bar, but there's God and he's standing over you. And he's got his hands underneath. This is important. Stick with me on this. He's got his hands underneath the bar. And what is he doing? He's calling out to you. You can do it. You can do it. Push. Let's go. And you're pushing and you're struggling and that's the walk of faith and the walk of obedience. I've never done this before. This is more weight than I can do. And, and right when you don't think you got enough, God's like, hey, I'll help you a little. Keep pushing. Look, I got one finger on the bar. You got this. And what you never have to worry about is that that weight's going to collapse on you. What this verse has done for me, verse 13, 
has given me the wind I need in my sails, the wind I need under my wings to take on great steps of faith for God. I know Ben Hatton, and that's what Ben knows. But God, what if I get to New Guinea and it doesn't work? But God, what about this? But God, what about that? God says, hey, you get there, I'll figure things out. I'm with you. I'm spotting you. You see, so many of us are unable to take steps of faith because we think we're the one doing the work. You are, but God will never allow that weight to crush you. And so, Add a little weight. Be okay with a little weight. That's all right. God's there. He's spotting me the entire time, and he's encouraging me all the while. Use your strength, but remember God is spotting you. The third truth in this program that you need to recognize is that you need to recognize that results will come gradually, but growth will come. It will come. There will be growth. So you go and work out day one. You work out and you work out like a crazy person. And you come home and you're like, dear, hour in the workout. I felt great. I know I'm 43 years old, but I felt like a 20-year-old. Give it a couple hours. You'll feel like you're 83. Right? And so you've worked out. Worked out harder than you ever have for years. And you wake up the next morning and you uh, get out of bed and... And you get to the scale, and you're like, I worked out hard yesterday. And you step on the scale, and you gain three pounds. Where are the results? I worked out. I looked in the mirror. I don't look any different. Well, just as it is in physical conditioning, so it is in spiritual conditioning, that growth takes time. It has been studied that most people, I, if I remember the, the survey, somewhere in the neighborhood of in the 80 percentile, people quit their routine just as they are about to see visible results. How sad is that? You've done all the hard work and you're on the cusp of seeing great growth and you quit because you don't see it. As a pastor, I see this all the time in people. Pastor, you said joining a small group would give growth. I would see results. You said joining a, uh, a ministry and serving, I would see growth. Reading my Bible, I would see growth. I don't see any growth. So I'm going to quit. Paul articulates that we've got to continue this. This working out your salvation is a continual thing. It's shared in the continual uh, verbiage. Keep working out. Don't stop working out. Because if you do, then there is a truth. You won't see results. But if you continue the process, you will see results. Now, here's the thing. You can easily become discouraged. You're serving. And you don't see results. You're reading the scriptures and you don't see results. You're, you're, you're giving and you don't see results. And, and you're like, wait a minute. This is where we as a church can, can help out one another. In the book of Hebrews, the people of God were discouraged. And they were giving up. 
And the writer says, hey, this is where in Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 24, he says, hey, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't neglect spending time with one another, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so this is the motif that needs to be in our ministry together. We need to be encouragers. Again, I go back to this whole CrossFit phenomenon of doing life, doing working out in community, because then you can encourage one another. So let me tell you spiritually how this works. There is something awesome when someone comes up and says, man, God's got, his hold on. God's got a hold of you. I'm seeing some awesome things. I remember being encouraged like that as a young man, layperson in ministry. And you know what it made me want to do? It wanted me to be, I, I wanted to be a, a greater and more mature Christian because of it. It was so encouraging. Man, Tim, you're growing in your teaching. Tim, you're growing in your ministry. Tim, you're, I'm seeing your maturity grow. The dumb things you used to say, you don't seem to be saying those things anymore. Be encouraged. I'm seeing changes. Again, we're told that we are usually the last people that see the change in us. And so we need to encourage one another. Can I tell you, it's an easier day at the gym when your spouse says, man, you're looking good. I am. I'm going back to the gym. I want to look better. And so we need to encourage one another to get in the program and to stay in the program. So we're in the program. Let's move on. My second and third points are a little longer than my first point. Just kidding. Okay? This is a workout. You're growing. You're sweating. I think I'm the only one sweating up here. All right. Number two, you need to exercise with passion. What do I do? I get into the gym, and two things happen. I go into the gym, and I look around. I'm like, where do I start? All these machines, all of these apparatuses around, and where do I begin, and what are they for? Have you ever seen someone use a chest machine as a leg machine? It's pretty crazy. That's not what it was created for. I'm going to figure it out. And so we look, and we're unfamiliar, and maybe you're walking in, you're saying, I want to be in this work that I become more like Christ, but, but I open the word, and it's Greek to me. I don't know how to pray. All of this stuff, all of these tools, they don't make any sense to me. And so we need to help one another. When we see someone struggling, the greatest thing in the gym is someone who comes and says, hey, let me show you what I'm doing. Here's my workout. Why don't you shadow me? This is where a trainer can be helpful, where a trainer can say, hey, I've put together a personal workout for you. You don't have to worry about it. Just show up. And this is where we have to help our younger believers. And we've got to help them, especially our young people. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Why don't you follow me and, and watch what I do? This is what we call discipleship. Second thing happens when we go into the gym we look around, and let's just be honest, we are the fattest, most out-of-shape person in the entire gym, right? We look, and we're like fit, strong, muscular, toned, tan. Wow, they all look great. And then you look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, oh, gosh, that's terrible. And what we begin to do is we compare ourselves physically with other people. And what we usually do is we don't compare the other person who's in the gym day one we compare the person who's been in the gym for 20 years. 
We do it spiritually. We go to small group. And maybe we're not as mature in the faith as others. And we hear them pray. And it's like we're in the throne room of God. And they look at the text and say, well, I studied in the commentary the Greek word for this. And you're like, why is he bringing up Greek? We're in America. What in the world is he talking about? The past, present participle. And it's in passive terms, not aggressive terms. And you're like, okay, why? This is not college. I can't do that. What Bible is he reading? Where is he getting this stuff? And you start comparing yourself. By the way, mature people, be careful that you don't flex your muscles so that other people can see it. Okay? You don't need to do that. Because there's people that came into God's gym and they're struggling to even stay there. And so encourage them and walk with them. And and that doesn't mean, listen, what that doesn't mean is we dumb down things and and, and we all just play like we're the first part of the gym because we need to see what can happen when you're in God's gym for a while. I'm thankful that mature godly people who totally seemed out of my reach were walking with God at a level I hadn't at that point. But what they did was always encourage me in my little steps along the way. And so what are the exercises? Let's look at them really quickly. You're not going to take a long time. These are exercises that you can do. Number one, cling to Scripture. He says in the text, hold fast to the word of life. How do we cling to Scripture? How do we hold fast to the word of life? Four things you do. Very easy. Ready? You read the word. Or study the word. Okay? Read or study the word. Number two, you discuss the word. Number three, you listen to the word. And number four, you do the word. Read and study the word. Discuss the word. Hear the word or listen to the word. And do the word. 75% of you have the program before you right now. It's our small group ministry. We give you the word. This is what we're dealing with. Last week, you dealt with Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. We gave you a study guide. Hey, in your time by yourself, we want you to read the text. We want you to answer questions about the text. We want you to do some interacting with the text on a personal level. God, what's this text mean to me? What's this mean from the comings and goings of my life? What am I called to do? Number two, I need to discuss the word. So I go with other Christians and I talk about it. So in dozens of homes across the Fox Valley area, we have people in small groups and their sole purpose is to study the word of God together and to pray with one another and to fellowship with one another and to ask the question, how is God doing uh, this work in and through me? And maybe I can learn from Sally or Tracy or Bob or Billy Maybe I can learn a new way to deal with that trouble area that I can't seem to find progress with. So I'm going to interact with them. And I'm going to discuss this word with them. And then I'm going to gather on Sunday and I'm going to hear the the word of God taught in an authoritative way. Meaning that we're called to this. This this is not playing games. This is serious business. And hopefully, and this is my prayer and pray for me, that you're hearing it from a mature, godly individual who's walking the talk. 
And I pray that for myself and I pray that for each of our campus pastors because that's our job. That's how we shepherd you. Now, we could do the first three things. The book of James says you can be hearers of the word, but the fourth thing, you gotta do it. You gotta put it into practice. $1.8 billion a year is spent on memberships in gyms that people never go into. You're wasting your time. You read it, you discuss it, you hear it, but you don't do anything. We need to take that and be doers of the word. That's what it means to cling to scripture. And we've given you the tool. There's lots of other tools. There's Bible apps. There's our daily bread. There's all manner of ways to cling to scripture. I don't care what you choose. Just choose one that gets you into this word and motivates you to do what it says. Amen? Number two. We cling to scripture, we cut out sin. Now sin is nowhere in this text, but Paul says, I don't want to labor or run in vain. So there's things that he can do that no matter how much he works out, he, he does it in vain. Let me tell you why. We have, I think it's Anytime Fitness or 24-Hour Fitness, something over here. I, I love where it sits. It's in the Jewel parking lot. And you walk out of the, you, some of you know where I'm going. You walk out, and as you walk out the door, what are you looking at? Help me out. McDonald's. Okay? And some of us, we get out of the gym, and we walk over to the McDonald's, and we're like, I'll take a double quarter pounder with cheese. I'll take a couple apple pies. Make that a large um, fry. And, and by the way, I'll do a Diet Coke. Okay? Can I tell you something? That hour you spent at the gym, it's a waste. Back in my days in high school or college, we, we would play basketball for hours. And my son and his friends do this now. They, they spend hours playing basketball, and that's what we do. And back in the day, we didn't have McDonald's here in Sugar Grove in the olden days. We had to go to the west side of Aurora to the Burger King. And they had a deal for college guys only. Five Whoppers, five dollars. Okay, amen. Someone, amen, Scott, amen. Okay. And we would eat five Whoppers. Good golly, five Whoppers. And we would feel good about ourselves. We'd play basketball for a couple hours. You just consume 7,000 calories. You would have to play basketball for nine and a half years. And some of us, and this is now, let's get serious. Some of us, are doing all the work of sanctification, listen very carefully. We're doing the work of sanctification while holding on to our sin. And can I tell you, you're wasting your time. If you're gonna hold on to your sin and try to do this sanctifying work, God says, I can't, I can't work with you with that. You gotta let that go. You wanna see yields? You wanna see results? Then you gotta stop thinking that way. You gotta stop consuming that stuff. You gotta stop looking or reading that stuff. You, you gotta stop. So cut it out in the Bible, and Paul talks about this all the time. You've gotta hate that so much that it becomes so um, ugly to you that you're willing to say, I don't want to be like that, and so I'm going to be in the, in the gym extra early and for a little longer because I don't want to be involved with that. 
We've got to cut out sin. And finally, we've got to cultivate a life of sacrifice. Paul says, and he brings up this Jewish tradition of the drink offering. And what he says is, I'm being poured out. Even as I'm being poured out, he'll say this later in 2 Timothy, where he is at the end of his life and says, I've been poured out. He's looking forward to being poured out. And he's okay with it. Sacrificing for God is going to take a lot of sweat and endurance. I'll just be really honest with you. I slept a handful of hours last night, and a handful really means less than what's on my hand. I've got something going on with my foot. I don't know what it is. It's killing me, and I'm telling my wife, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I said, the last thing I want to do is preach. I don't want to preach. I'm not saying that because I want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to recognize there's a reason. Notice there's a Greek word in here. Look at it. It's really important. It's at the, it says right here, okay, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, comma, there's a word. It's, re, it's pronounced work. Work. In the Greek, it means work, not vacation, not summer break, work. Sometimes in the Christian life, you are going to be called to do things, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to cause stress, and it's going to cause sorrow and pain, and it's, you know, Paul's sitting there, and I can't imagine they sitting there going, yippee, I'm in prison. This is great. But notice what he says. When we do this, notice at the end of the passage, he says, as I'm being poured out as a drink offering, being completely spent, when the drink offering was poured on the altar, it was poured out. Not a little drizzle, but it was poured out. So much that it would create this this big poof of smoke. And what was to come of it was this aroma that was to fill the room. Paul says, I'm spent. I'm hurting. I'm tired, but notice what he says. I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, when you're in God's gym, Philippians, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Those are the exercises. If you need help, ask somebody to show you how to do them. But do them. And it's gonna be hard You go out and work out tonight physically, you're going to be hurting in the morning, and that's okay. But keep it up. The pain will subside. How do we know if we're doing this well? I'm going to close really quickly. We need to evaluate our progress. How do we know if we're becoming more like Christ? How do we know if we're sticking to the program? The text gives us three questions we can ask. Number one, who am I accountable to? And that is seen in who do I fear and tremble before? Is it my boss? Is it my spouse? Is it my circle of friends? Is it the Christians in my small group? Or is it God? Who am I accountable to? If it's God, then let God ask you questions. Let God point out the troubled areas in your life. But remember, he's not pointing them out and saying, you're a terrible person. He's pointing them out, as we sang today, as a good, good father who loves us and wants our best. So who are you accountable to? Number two, 
How's your attitude? Paul says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. How much grumbling are you doing right now in this walk of faith? It's really easy to do that. I'm in this all-in campaign. I committed to giving the church this amount of money and my neighbor got a new car. Must be nice. I'm giving to the church. If he gave to the church, his house would look like my house does. It's easy to grumble, right? I'm hitting too close to home. Your laughter is nervous. Okay? Do we grumble? Grumbling very quickly is questioning God and his sovereignty. God, you don't, you, you, you don't have it figured out. God, your ways are not good. We just sang it. You are perfect in all your ways. No, you're not. And I'm going to remind you, God, of how wrong you are. Don't grumble. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we close. One final question. Am I becoming attractive? Am I becoming attractive? That's why we work out, right? We want to look better. Maybe we want to feel better. But a lot of it's look. I don't like the way I look. Let me ask you. Spiritually, how attractive are you? Notice what Paul says about these people. He wants them to be blameless and innocent, without blemish, in a crooked and twisted generation. He wants them to shine like stars. In your spirituality, do people look, and this is really important, so listen to me for 30 more seconds. If you're working out hard, people will inevitably come and they see the change in you. They'll say, what are you doing? I see some great changes. You're losing weight. You look muscular. Tell me your secret. Can I ask you, on Monday, do people say, you're so filled with joy, you're filled with so much peace, will you tell me your secret? Or are you like the rest of the twisted and crooked generation? Are you grumbling? And are you flabby? instead of being the fit individual that people point to and say, I want to be like them.